This is the John Clayton Show on 710 ESPN Seattle. Get in on the conversation at 866-979-ESPN. Now here's your host, the professor, John Clayton. 866-979-ESPN, 206-421-ESPN. Let's go to Patrick in Kent. Hey, Patrick. Hey, John. Long time no here. Hey, I know. How you been? Oh, pretty good. was in training camp about a month ago and was pretty was really happy to see the everyone there after mm-hmm. what happened last year. Uh, I got a question here about, you know, the future of NFL scheduling. You think you can go to 18 games and no preseason games? Mm, I, I, the league would like to, but I can't see the players agreeing to it. Uh, and, and again, I, if anything's going to happen like that, it's going to be in 10 years because, again, it's like uh, the players aren't going to do that with the existing uh, CBA that they have that goes for 10 years. So it's like now, you know, now you're talking a way down the line, but it's not like they can implement 18 games. The players aren't going to accept 18 games. But at some point, I can see that happening. But, again, I can't see it happening with the players agreeing upon it. Yeah. There's one thing that I disagree about the 17-game schedule is like playing – Playing interconference games, it, it should be inside the conference. Mm-hmm. Instead, like instead of just playing Pittsburgh, because conference games are more valuable than interconference games. Yeah, in fact, it's interesting because uh, the way it works is, is it's alternating each year. But this year, for example, you have uh, you know the AFC with uh, you know sixteen extra home games because the NFC teams have to play at the AFC. And uh, Dave Wyman brought this stat up the other day. Is that so far in the preseason, the AFC's 23 and five against the NFC, and you can see that the AFC is a better conference right now, and they're going to have a real good record in the interconference game that's going to pull down the NFC. Oh yeah, yeah. And in regards to tonight's game, these, they are saying that Russell will play just about the first quarter or or, or second, or yeah. two quarters. Maybe one quarter, I think. Should just be, should just be uh, one, one or two, three series. That's it. Yeah, I, I, I think it's particularly with the way the offensive line is, and the fact they're not playing a lot of the starters on the offensive line. It's like uh, I wouldn't put them out there that long. I, I, I'd put them oh, out yeah. there for a short period of time. All right, thank you very much, John. All right, Patrick, thank you. Eight six six nine seven nine ESPN two zero six four two one ESPN. Let's go to Brian in Maple Valley. Hey, Brian. Hey, Professor. Good morning. Thanks for taking the call. Well, thank you for calling. All right. So I was reading my morning Seahawks news, and there was an article I skimmed through where it said uh, the first time in years uh, Seattle has used void years to help with cap issues. And I thought, who better to ask about what does that really mean? What is like a void year as far as salary cap. Yeah, and, and uh, teams are doing that because, again, the cap went down 8% to 182.5. And so what happens now is that, uh, I mean, you, you basically take, let's say you, you, you take a four-year, five-year deal or something like that, and you void four years of that, you can get a lower cap number because the player is going to make what he's going to make this year with the signing bonus. But then, you know, you, you lay off the number for four or five years, three or four years or whatever it's going to be so that, uh, you know, you'll have, that'll be on the cap, but the cap's going to be bigger in the next several years. So okay. that's what it comes down to. So it's like, uh, you know, it, it, it makes sense to do that. And you have a lot of teams that are doing it because what ends up happening is like, okay, uh, let's say you want to play, take a team, take a player and pay him like uh, four or $5 million. 
uh, and you, know, you give them $3 million to sign, and then you take you know, 600 of that over four or five years, and then uh, you, know, you lay it off, and you get a lower cap number this year, but also, too, then you lay that off into the future. So it's just that's, that's what the strategy is, and you know, Seahawks have done it, and most teams in the league have done it. Interesting. Okay, well, I really appreciate the detailed explanation. Thanks for thanks again for taking the call. All right, thank you. 866-979-ESPN, 206-421-ESPN. Let's go to Robert in Bothell. Hey, Robert. Hey, John, thanks for taking my call. Did you catch that Mariners game last night? No, I did. Uh, well, I, I did. Yeah, I did. It was pretty bad. Yeah, I'm, I'm beginning to lose faith in this idea of this rebuild, and I'm looking at the you know, our prospects, you know, that are up mm-hmm. now, Kelnick, um, J.P. Crawford. And I'm like, are these guys going to become consistent hitters? And I guess my question is, how long would it take for a hitter to really be considered that consistent hitter? Meaning where the strikes go down and the hits. I'm not looking for home runs. I'm yeah. looking for, like, base hits, doubles, and you know, stuff like that. And it just seems that we cannot do it. You know, year after year, we have men on bases, and then we strike out. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, how how can we, as a fan base, still support Jerry DePato if he always keeps on pushing the goalposts back? You know, for it was this year, John, that I remember listening to 710 and other stations. He goes on the radio and says, 2021 is the year the Mariners are going to make it to the playoffs. We're not going to the playoffs no. if we lose to Kansas City. No, but again, so, it's, they, they, they did score seven runs last night, right? And, yeah. uh, I mean, you can see the good young talent there that's there. And, you know, and if you're young talent, you're going to go through ups and downs uh, as far as hitting. That's just only the nature of things. I mean, you'd have to admit that, uh, you know, Jerry DePoto – if he said that they're going to be a playoff team this year, I mean, obviously that wasn't going to happen, but they're a year or two ahead of where they should be in the rebuild. And, uh, you know, they're 10 games over 500. Did you, did you think this team was going to be 10 games over 500? And I think the answer is no, 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 I didn't think that. So my, I guess my other point is, do you think if they let go of Jerry, but kept got service, would he stay? Or is it a two-and-one that those two, if he uses well, they, they got to they, they they keep them both. Keep them both? Yeah. I mean, because what, what, what are you going to do? You're, you're in the middle of a uh, rebuilding process, and you're going to let the man mm-hmm. who's doing the rebuilding and the uh, you know, Scott Service, who arguably he won't win it, but again, you can put him in the mix for manager of the year because he's done such an incredible job. It's like you're going to let uh, either of these guys go. That'd be the stupidest thing in the world because, again, then you have to go with a different system, a different scouting. It's like that would be ridiculous. But they're looking for an extension. And how, how many more years are we going to hear excuses? Uh, you know, well, COVID hit. Sorry, that's one excuse. Uh, well, you know, we didn't get enough practice time. Mm-hmm. That's another excuse. You know, these are not legitimate. And I just don't trust the owner. You know, I don't think he's going to spend money, you know, to, to get a couple of veterans for us to – get us over that hump because I do agree with you that we're on that hill of finally seeing some sunlight. But then yeah. I just think, man, you know, when is the owner going to drop some buckets, you know, some dollars down to, Hey, here's a couple of solid veterans to help this young team out. And he hasn't done that. Are we supposed to wait for next year? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause again, it's like, uh, 
you can only you can only do so much. And you know, I mean, look, look at the the, tr- the the deals that they've made and how you know Ty France has done such a good job. I mean, yeah. you know, it's like uh, Toro's done such a good job. It's like a, you know, they're they're a better team. You know, they they're, they're now the number one farm team in uh, in baseball. Uh, that talent's still coming up, and you know, you they have. Their budget for next year is so low that uh, they can do it. But it's like uh, if you break this thing up, all you're going to do is like you know have another ten years where you're not going to make the playoffs. That's true. I guess my standards are too high. I guess I look at it this way. I look at it kind of like the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah. Every year, those guys just seem to know what to do and build a contending team. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I just want that magic what the Steelers have. For a baseball team, you know, the Seahawks are fine. You know, they're on the, you know, they know what they're doing. It's just the Mariners that just seems like, why can't we do something like that? What they have over there in Pittsburgh where that football team every year is in the playoffs mm-hmm. contending. And here we're just like, man, we just want one playoff game. Yeah, but of course, I mean, that's the thing. is like they did a rebuild and a rebuild takes time. You've got to give time, and so far you can see that they've built enough talent that uh, it's you know it, it, things are going in the right direction. I mean, normally if you look at like the White Sox, you look at Houston, you look at other these other teams, it's a five-year process to rebuild to become a playoff type of team. They're doing it in a shorter time, and they're not going to make the playoffs. But again, you can see they're getting closer. Yeah. Thank you for your call, John. All right, thank you. 866-979-ESPN, 206-421-ESPN. John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. This is the John Clayton Show on 710 ESPN Seattle and 710sports.com. 866-979-ESPN, 206-421-ESPN. We can also take your text questions on the Mac and Jack text line and that's at 710 710 let's go to john in issaquah hey john hey good morning john good morning hey i got a question about intentional grounding i'm i'm a little confused if the receiver's not in an area and he throws and the quarterback throws the ball into the mm-hmm. ground that's intentional grounding why is a spike to stop the clock not considered intentional grounding no because again it's an intentional thing to just try to you know get the uh, you know, you, you're, it's an intention just to make sure that you can preserve time and all that stuff, and so it's a it's a quick move and it's allowed. Well, but I don't understand. Is there is it because the receivers are in your tight end or something is on the line uh, in a certain distance from no, you? No, because that, ba- ba- basically it, you're you're not trying to uh, make a throw. I mean, again, like for example, I mean intentional grounding. If you have no receiver or you are throwing. Uh, you know, not past the uh, line of scrimmage, then of course you get intentional grounding. In this case, it's just a quick move to stop the clock, and so it's 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 a different type of thing, and it's not uh, one. I mean, you you can do it because again, it, you're not throwing a pass. You're basically just trying to kill time. Okay, so but if a quarterback if they hike the ball and he takes like a step back and then threw it in the ground, is it the same as stopping the clock or just is that different? That becomes intentional grounding at that point. No, I mean, again, if you're making a throw uh, and the throw doesn't get to the line of scrimmage or beyond and it's not near a receiver, uh-huh. then it's then it's intentional grounding. In this case, what you're doing is basically you're taking the ball and you're throwing it to the ground, and so it's not even a pass. Oh, okay. Okay. 
Um, also, uh, isn't Ugo Amadi, is he a backup for an outside corner spot? Uh, I mean, he's competing for the uh, uh, the third cornerback job, I, the slot. I mean, so he's, he's still competing. For the nickel, but yeah. is, is he like a backup, say, say Trey Flowers got hurt? Yeah. Is Ugo Amadi able to go out and play an outside corner? No, he's too too short. That that it doesn't fit. Too short, just, yeah. But isn't he the same height as um, the guy we got last year, Reed? DJ Reed. Yeah, he might be, but again, it's like that's not that's not uh, his skill set. I mean, if he's going to play cornerback, he's going to play in the slot. He's not an outside okay. guy because again, he's a he, he can also play safety, and uh, he can play slot cornerback, but he's not an outside guy. Oh, okay. Just because of his height and not because yeah. of his speed, then. Well, I mean, height okay. and speed. Right. I mean, yeah. Okay. Well, thank you very much, John. I appreciate it. Have All a right, good thank day. Thank you. Eight six six nine seven nine ESPN two zero six four two one ESPN. Give us a call. Also, <laughs> taking your text questions on the uh, Mac and Jack uh, text line at seven ten seven ten. John, what's the chances of Connor Weddington, uh, an undrafted player? Or Josh Johnson making the practice squad or the roster. I think there's a chance that both of them could make the practice squad. I don't think any of them are going to make the roster. Josh did a good job last week of running the football. I thought that uh, you know he showed some promise. But you know again, you've got 16 guys that are going to be on the practice squad, and some of the undrafted guys obviously are going to fill that spot. So Weddington could make it. I think Josh Johnson probably will make it. From the two five three professor, which defensive ends will play right end? And which will play at Leo? Well, I mean, they've got uh, a lot of Leo candidates, but I think at this stage, I mean, you still have Benson Mayoa. You still have, you have Carlos Dunlap. I mean, you can't have Daryl Taylor. I mean, you've got uh, Alton Robinson. So there's a lot of Leos right now. I mean, obviously, Rashawn Green and uh, Rasheem Green and, uh, you know, certainly Kerry Hyder. They're more the five techniques. And so they'll get that. LJ Collier, you know, he'll... He'll be a five technique. But again, they've got plenty of Leos right now, so I think they're in good shape there. From the 360, it says, What are your thoughts about San Francisco? Looking at their roster, can't can't help but think that they might be neck and neck or below them. Their schedule is ridiculously easy. Yeah, their schedule is easy. I don't know how easy it really is, but uh, uh, what I worry about is the injuries. I mean, look what they have as far as the injuries at the wide receiver position. I mean, you know, we find out yesterday that uh, Richie James, who's always hurt, ends up getting a knee injury. He's going to be out six weeks. Jalen Hurd is hurt. You know, Debo Samuel is as good as he is. He always seems to have an injury. And, again, they were the most injured team in football last year as far as missed starts. And so, and I don't know why it is. It's always at the wide receiver position that they miss so many players. And so it's like uh, – to me, that could be the big setback. You know, they have to make the decision at quarterback as far as Jimmy Garoppolo or Trey Lance and all those different things. <laughs> but uh, my concern for them is injuries, and that's been a concern I've had now for two or three years. You know, they just can't sh- shake the injury bug, and particularly they can't shake the injury bug at the wide receiver position. Uh, from the two five three, any word on Geno Atkins? No, not yet. I think what the the, the team's looking at is that uh, you, know, you wait till Tuesday, see what you get down in the cutdowns, and then see if you and, and add him. You, know, you also have to see if there's going to be any injuries to defensive tackle uh, or any other position in the game tonight. That, I think, is going to be part of the mix. So I think that's what goes there. From the 2-5-3, Led Zeppelin, the Who, or the Beatles? Well, I mean, you know, 
the Beatles certainly have to be the winner. I think that because again they did so many great things. And then I think the Who number two, Led Zeppelin number three, eight six six nine seven nine ESPN two zero six four two one ESPN. Coming up next, our weekly dose of the Graz with Dave Crosby. This is the John Clayton Show on 710 ESPN Seattle and 710sports.com. It is time for our weekly dose of the Graz with Dave Grosby. And so, Dave, uh, I'm still trying to figure out. They made the official announcement that the ACC, Big, uh, Big Ten, and Pac-12 have formed an alliance. But what is this alliance? I mean, it's like hey, a, there's no de- definition to it. Hey, don't, don't bother figuring it out, John. Don't waste your time oh. because it, it, it's not it's not going to mean what they're saying now is not going to mean anything in the weeks to come. It, it's um, it, it's you're exactly right. It's nobody committing to anything. Uh, it's it's an alliance in name only. Uh, no one's promising to do this or promising to do that. So um, there, there's there's nothing to it in my opinion, and and uh, it'll be. You, you will be talking. You'll be asking me in about three months. Hey, remember, remember that? What happened to that alliance? That, that yeah. That, the because it's it's there's no teeth to it. No one's promising to do anything, and and uh, for that reason, it's 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 nothing. I mean, what will be interesting to see, I guess, is uh, is how the new uh, Pac-12 commissioner, who is not from the world of college football, but from the world of Las Vegas and from the MGM Grand, you know, makes of all this. What, what you know, because he's going to find out that. That guys don't keep their word, that 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 uh, handshakes uh, agreements are are worth absolutely nothing when it comes to the guys here in in major college sports. So uh, I'll curi- I'll be curious to see how he handles the whole thing as an outsider. But um, it was it was sort of a response to ESPN and the SEC. Uh, it, it it's designed to to make it uh, to I think 2026 is when the window opens up again for for television rights and and to give ESPN a second thought of of just uh, aligning with the SEC but of course that's when Texas and Oklahoma will be joining so that's not going to work out so I, I I don't think this will amount to anything I don't think it's important that you figure out exactly how it works yeah and of course I mean so they make the uh, uh, announcement on the alliance and don't don't describe what that's going to mean and sure enough USC ends up scheduling a game against LSU from the SEC. Right. <laughs> and look, the SEC is going to come for USC. I mean, they're going to, if they, if they want to, if they, if they want to stretch it out here, they're, they're going to come out and go after a team like USC. So um, that, that's, that, that speaks volumes to it, John. It speaks volumes to it. It's, 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 it's something in name only. And um, because most of these guys have been around a long time in name only is not going to mean anything. No, I mean, again, it's like, I, I just, when, when I, because, again, you're trying to figure out, okay, so what does this all mean? And it pretty much doesn't mean much. No. No, it, there's, there's no there's no anything. No one is committed. And, and the, 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 not press conference, but the press avails were laughable when you heard uh, different guys in the conference saying, well, no, we, conference commissioners and, and other athletic directors talking and saying, no, no, no. We're not agreeing to this. No, no, no. We're not agreeing to that. No, no, no. There, there's nothing written about that. I mean, they, they, they've, they've just put together a, a list. I'm almost calling it a list for laughs. They're putting together a cosmetic piece that, that they hope will give them a framework to deal with, uh, with the SEC. And if history tells us anything, it's that those things in college sports don't work. Like I said, the only interesting factor is that you've got a brand new guy in the, in the Pac-12 going 
and uh, it'll be interesting to see if he uh, he handles things differently. Yeah, and of course, then we we find out that uh, yesterday <laughs> the commissioner announced there's no expansion right now, or new new teams been coming into the Pac-12. Right, the uh, AC, the Big 12 is talking about BYU, but um, it's uh, yeah. The, the, right now, no, nothing is changing. But um, soon, as I've been telling you, John, for the last couple of weeks, everything's going to be changing, and and you're going to see. I, I still maintain you're going to see two uh, two super leagues, 64 teams probably total playing an NFL type schedule that'll result in a Super Bowl sort of matchup. This is this is what I think when the dust clears, college football will look like. Yeah, I don't like it. I mean, I just think that uh, they're going. A lot of guys won't like it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's tra- tradition be gone. Mm-hmm. The only traditions you will have, and and for some schools this will be enough, and in some places this will be enough, will be the, the, the will be the traditions you have on game day, will be the things that you do like like you know here at Husky Stadium, you know taking the boat to to the game and and doing things like that. Um, you know the, those traditions that you have with your fans for your games will be all that's left. You will not have the, the mat- matchups you're used to having. You've already, you know, taken away the, you know, it's funny when you hear people who, who've been in, in the Pac-12 for a long time still talk about the Rose Bowl as their goal when uh, that's not the goal anymore. I mean, mm-hmm. that, 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 was, that, that, that aspect of it has been taken away. So, yeah, the, the only thing, the only traditions you will have will be the ones that you have in your stadiums. Uh, all the other ones are being stripped away, and, and uh, it's it's too bad. And that's the thing that's so crazy about it is like, okay, you know, they go for so many years with uh, four teams competing for the national championship and the four-team playoffs and all that stuff, which was too small. And so now they expand it to 12 and uh, how long is that going to hold up if they're going to basically have two super conferences? Uh, stopgap at best. Yeah. You know, stopgap at best. I mean, it'll it'll. No one's gonna no one's gonna complain when the money comes rolling in, John. That's one of the keys. Hey, you know, speaking of college football, I, I wanted to wanted yeah. to throw a plug out for my old partner, um, and great college football teams. Uh, Gas Mike Gastineau wrote a book, Fear No Man. Uh, which is a really great account of the 91 Huskies, which, uh, as far as I'm concerned, John, best team I ever saw in any sport mm-hmm. was, was the Husky football team that went 12-0 and that year, destroyed Michigan in the um, in the Rose Bowl. You know, with Steve Entman, Hoffman, Clifford, those guys on defense, uh, the, the two, you know, Hobart and Brunel at quarterback, all the skilled players, the, the incredible cast of linebackers, um, it's a, it's a great book, and it's a reminder of just what a what an incredibly overwhelming dominant football team was. And of course, you and me have a little memory of that mm-hmm. because we did the we did the computer mock-up game of, of Washington versus Miami. I had Washington winning when Billy Joe Hobart said, "Let's let's dog the the Rose Bowl and play Miami." Yeah, and of course, I mean the book came out on Wednesday, and of course, the reason I know that is I spent a whole bunch of time with Mike Gastineau and Art Teal because on Monday night. Uh, in Tacoma, uh, at the Tacoma T- Convention Center, uh, Mike and Art were, you know, hosting the, uh, you know, vote, uh, we, we, the results of the fact that uh, Pat and I and members of the News Tribune uh, were going into the Tacoma Hall of Fame. And so it was great spending time nice. with Mike there. So, yeah, so Pat and I are now Hall of Famers. I mean, again, this is my third Hall of Fame because I got the Pro Football Hall of Fame, Duquesne University. Pat's in the uh, Tacoma Hall of Fame with my with myself. Good for along her. With the fact that uh, she's also the South Sound Bowling after uh, writing bowling for 19 years. That's good to hear. 
that that's good to hear. I'm glad you I'm glad you saw Mike and and uh, you know again that that book was that book was really 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 good and and uh, it's a reminder of how great. I mean, is that the, that's that's the best college football team you ever saw, John? Mm. Would you say? Have I would, you seen I mean, a better one? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I know that uh, some of the Pittsburgh teams, the, the, the Pitts, um, Pittsburgh teams in the late '70s, you know, with Dan Marino at quarterback. I mean, they were really good with Johnny Majors. I mean, they, he had such a great team. Jackie Sherrill put together some great teams. You know, certainly. I just think, you know, when you think about that Husky team. You had Jim Lambright who, who played that yeah. attacking defense. Remember, basically zero, zero, zero coverage all the time, and he just had such great skill players. And then you had. The Destroyer and Steve Entman. I mean, mm-hmm. Steve Entman is the best college football player I've ever seen. Bar none, no comparison. I've never seen a guy more more dominant than him uh, against against great competition. He, he would just he would just tear up the middle of lines. Uh, I remember he had a Heisman vote. And he got my Heisman vote that year and was yeah. was second or third in the voting as an interior lineman. They just they just had such a great great defense. That uh, I just I, I would love to see them in today's game because you got everything spread out and Washington would, would tend not to spread out would challenge you, you know see if see if you can complete a pass get getting hit by three guys in two seconds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, but that that was so much fun. And that was, also you look at uh, some of the Miami teams. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, there were some good <clears throat> ones. And Florida Spurrier had some good teams mm-hmm. down there as well. There are some great teams, but I'll I'll stand by what I said. I think that Washington team is the best, certainly the best team I ever saw. Yeah, no, and I, I say in any sport, I've never seen a more dominant team in any other sport. Yeah, no, it was it was really good to. to so it's a good book. It's a, yeah. it's a good book. Just to and, point and, out and, there. and give everybody the name of the book. Fear no man. Fear okay. Yeah. Which was uh, which was actually it's taken from um, the Michigan game, and and the coaches were were talking about what to do. Remember Desmond Howard was right. the great Michigan return man, and had returned a, a bunch of kicks for touchdowns and. And they're talking in the special teams meeting right right at the day of the Rose Bowl before the game. All right, we're not going to kick to him. We're going to kick away or kick out of bounds. And I think it was Dana Hall was or one of the defensive backs that, that said, hey, coach, coach, forget about that. We fear no man. And uh, that, that spoke volumes about what that defense was about. And, and they destroyed Michigan that day. They could have beaten them by, by 50 points yeah. if they wanted to. No, it's, it's, a, it's a good But book. Don James wouldn't run up the score. No, exactly. On the baseball side of it, yeah. How did the uh, Mariners lose two games to the uh, Kansas City Royals? I, I can throw out the week, uh, the week line that, that I saw that that the Royals, uh, along with the Mariners, had the best record in the American League since the All Star break. So they're a team that's playing well, mm-hmm. twenty one and seventeen. But that that doesn't answer your question. Um, it's it just uh, two two exceedingly frustrating nights, and, and all I can say is that this is a team that's managed to bounce back from this before. But uh, the the clock is ticking now. You're at August 28th. You're, you're still plenty of time, but you're four and a half games now behind the Red Sox. Uh, you're at a point where you really got to take every series the rest of the way if you're going to make it to the postseason. And this was one that you absolutely had written down that you were going to win. So regardless of how well Kansas City's playing in the second half, you were expected to to take this series. And you know you you let you let a hot player get you. I mean their catcher is terrific, and he said. He said back-to-back grand slams in the last two games is 36 home runs. So, you know, you're letting their best player beat you, which is which is how you get beat. So, uh, pitching was a little tough. Logan Gilbert had a tough outing. Uh, Kikuchi just ran into a wall in the fifth inning, which was which was unfortunate in the first game. But they've still got a couple left, so a chance to, to at least even up the series and then and then get down to business. But um, again, not 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 a lot of time to 
to afford uh, these difficult losses. Yeah. What do you think happens to Kikuchi next year? Because I think that uh, you have to see yeah, if they want to pick question, up John. four years, $66 I mean, million. Yeah, he's got that if you want to keep him. Or, or you, there, there are other options, uh, just uh, one year or let him become a free agent. Um, you know, he's – look, it, I'm going to say, in all honesty, I think it's still up for grabs. Yeah. I think that, you know, he showed it in, in at least half a dozen starts, maybe maybe more, uh, that, you know, he, he's a, a staunch seven-inning, six to seven-inning, left-handed stud, you know, giving up six, seven hits and a run or two, and it was, absolutely it was no question – this is what you. This is what you want. You'd be looking for this anyway. You're going to pay him. It, it's a, it's a bargain, relatively speaking. And then he had his dip. You know, since the All Star break, he had his dip. Now he's got, I'm going to say conservatively five more starts, maybe six. Uh, he he pitches well in those games, John, and all of those games. You know, the, the the smart move will be to pick up his option, and in all likelihood, that's going to be the right move to do because you know pitching is at a premium and. A guy who's left-handed, who has shown the kind of potential that he's shown, even though you're expecting a little bit more, is probably worth the money at this point. But he pitches terrible the last month of the season. They're not going to be able to do it. So I think that they're hoping that he pitches well enough that it's an easy decision for them. And when do you think they're going to get something done with uh, Scott Service and Jerry DePoto as far as getting contract extensions? Well, it's um, it's interesting. Now, I, I have two thoughts on that, John. One is it's already done. Mm-hmm. They haven't announced it, which is something they've done before and wouldn't surprise me. Um, the other one is they're they're they've just decided to wait it out and uh, see see what it looks like now that you've got the, the Kraken starting up, now that you've got college football with the Huskies playing next weekend starting up, now that you've got that other team in town. Or what are they called again? Oh yeah, the Seahawks. Seahawks yeah. starting up. Um, see how many people still come out and watch watch the baseball team play, and maybe they're waiting to see, you know, what that looks like at the end. But I think it, it should have been done already. I think Depoto has built you that great farm system. I, I, I would not be opposed to seeing another person put in the front office, but uh, at this point, I would hire Depoto. Uh, excuse me, I would re- renew Depoto's contract for sure. And again, I would l- allow him as the general manager to decide what he wanted to do with the manager. I have no reason to believe that he wouldn't want to stick with Scott Service, though. Yeah, because again, you can make the argument, even though it won't happen, <laughs> is that Scott's going to be in the conversation for manager of the year because he's you know got the team ten games over five hundred. If they wind up that way, if, they, yeah. if the year ends and there's still 10 games over 500, you're, you're right. He, he's definitely going to be a candidate. But I imagine uh, the, the the leader, probably the likeliest candidate in the American League, is probably Tony La Russa, yeah. who came back from all those years away. And Chicago's coasting in the Central. So he would be probably the guy to beat. Dusty Baker and other guys having a great year in Houston, even though they lost Springer and a few other guys. But Scott Service is having his, uh, is doing as much with this team as I believe anyone could have done with this team. And okay. they, they stick to this, where they're at, 10 games or so, over 500. He's a definite candidate for Coach of the Year. So what's on the Graz agenda for this weekend? Kind of feels like the last weekend of summer, sort of. Yeah. The sun is out, so it's going to be it's going to be enjoying all that all that Seattle has to offer on a beautiful sunny weekend. And that sounds good, so I hope you can enjoy it. And congratulate Pat for me, by the way, John. You've I, I been in a few that. Hall of Fames. That's yeah, very, yeah. very special for her. No, it was it was great and good <laughs> spending time with Gas and Teal and everybody else down there and also the members of the News Tribune because what a great honor to be uh, going in that whole group and being honored as sports staff that gets into the pro, uh, getting into the Tacoma Hall of Fame. That's our weekly dose of the Gras with Dave Grosby. David, thank you so much. Okay, John, talk to you next week. All right, 866-979-ESPN, 206-421-ESPN. John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. This is the John Clayton Show on 710 ESPN Seattle and 710sports.com.
Our thanks to Matt Nelson for producing the show. Our thanks for Matt Nelson for running the show. 866-979-ESPN-206-421-ESPN. 206-421-ESPN. Let's go to Todd in Wenatchee. Hey, Todd. Hey, John. Uh, I just wanted to touch base with you on the 49ers. Yeah. Um, anytime anyone asks you about the 49ers, you just, all you want to talk about is how you think they're going to be injured, and that's not really analyzing their roster. Um, I just want to point out something. Uh, two years ago when they went 13-3, uh, Kittle was hurt, missed a few games. Uh, Tim Coleman missed games. Matt Burke missed games. Joe Staley. Uh, the other tackle, right tackle, McGuinn missed games. Uh they, they're pretty big two years ago, but the difference that year was Garoppolo played 16 games. Yeah. Well, their, their problem has been they don't have a bad quarterback. Like, they've Garoppolo's won 80% of the starts. Garoppolo's backup has won 20% of their, their start. This year, they've got something different, and that's a backup quarterback, um, Trevor Lance. Mm-hmm. So while, while injuries play a factor, the biggest factor last years have been quarterback position. And they've got two quarterbacks this year, possibly, if Trey Lance can play up to what, what he's looked like so far. I think that changes the game in San Francisco. Yeah, but again, it's like, uh, what you worry about is that, uh, you know, you, you saw last year, I mean, again, you know that uh, Garoppolo's missed 23 of 48 games since coming over to the 49ers. And then, of course, I mean, they've got so many injuries at the wide receiver position and have had that now for the last couple of years. <laughs> and that has to pull down I, the offense. And, you know, well, they got, the point you know, of my call, John. Huh? The point of my call was that they have the backup quarterback position to be taken care of this year. And I think that will be the difference. Mm-hmm. They said two years ago they had injuries, too, and they went 13-3 and three and won the Super Bowl. Right. I mean, again, it's just it's something I worry about. I mean, again, I think that they're a, a playoff caliber team, but I'm worried about the injuries. Well, maybe move on past that because you don't analyze, you know, you don't analyze teams in the NFC based on. Well, I think they're going to be injured. So yeah. no, I do. I mean, it's you like I, you, anal, you, you analyze everything. Analyze player availability is one of the most important things you have on a team, and if you're going to be missing oh, well, somebody, the only thing you're talking about on San Francisco, that's all you talk about. Well. Well, tell me, tell me if I'm wrong. Uh, you're wrong. Well, I'm, I disagree. Because, like I said, two, year, two years ago they had a lot of injuries too, uh-huh. and they went to the Super Bowl. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, Todd, we'll have to just disagree on this. Well, I'd like to hear some more thoughtful discussion on the four All right. <laughs> Sounds good. Let's go to Commando Dave. Hey, Commando. John Clayton Dagnabbit, it's great to be back on the John Clayton Show on 710 Cairo, home of the NFC West champ, the Seattle Seahawks, and team that kept fans up until midnight for nothing, mm-hmm. the Seattle Mariners. Shout out to Matt the MC Nelson for getting me on the air so I can bring her to the show. And while I'm giving shout outs, John Clayton, let me give one to Mrs. Clayton for being inducted into her second Hall of Fame and to you for your third, John Clayton. Appreciate that. You know, we hear the term power couple talked around quite a bit, but when there are five Hall of Fame inductions in one household, you and Mrs. Clayton are the first Hall of Fame couple, aren't you? Uh, I don't know how many more there are, but I'm sure there's some, but it's like uh, so fortunate to uh, to have that. And the fact that we've been together for 34 years, you got to like that. Well, that's a Hall of Fame note right there. Speaking of Halls of Fame, John Clayton, Mike Holmgren, shouldn't need a get Mike Holmgren into the Pro Football Hall of Fame campaign 
like he's the Drew Pearson of coaches. Mm -hmm. Dick Vermeule was a good coach and one of the NFL's all-time great gentlemen. But he's no Mike Holmgren, in my estimation, when you retire from coaching and then get back in the game 15 years later, you lose your spot in a lot of lines. And I hope I'm not stepping on your toes as an unbiased Steelers fan, but Bill Cowher just took a baton handoff from Chuck Noll in one of the most impressive coaching relays in NFL history. Mike Holmgren not only resurrected the Packers and the Seahawks, he took both teams to the Super Bowl, winning one with the Packers. And as you and Raider Jim touched on earlier, if the Super Bowl 40 refs weren't passengers on the Jerome Bettis riding into the Sunset bus, Mike Holmgren would probably uh, have been two for three. Not to mention, he's a branch from the Bill Walsh coaching tree and has a coaching tree of his own with mm -hmm. Ray Rose, Steve Mariucci, Gruden, and Andy Reid. So, John Clayton, why aren't you on the coaches' committee, and when can we get you on it? I mean, it, it, the, the weird part about it is that uh, I never, I didn't hear it because I'm the one, uh, and it was because of uh, you know what Will McDonough taught me that kept on pushing for the separate category for contributors and coaches. And for years, right. we just had the contributors, but they wouldn't put the coaches as separate. And so finally, they listened to me, and they did that. And, uh, you know, here it was, uh, I'm not on the coaches' committee because they actually tied it in with the seniors. Like, I'll have contributors mm -hmm. coming up on Tuesday uh, and doing that. But, uh, yeah, I was surprised because, you know, I thought it was going to be a battle between Don Coryell and Mike Holmgren with Mike Holmgren winning. But, unfortunately, uh, you know, it went the Dick Vermeule way. And, again, I'm a big believer in Dick Vermeule. But, again, I think Mike Holmgren deserves it better. Huh. Are we going to need to bring Mrs. Clayton in on this? She's a two-time Hall of Famer, you know. Yeah, I know. But and it's lastly, not, John. Yeah. Go ahead. Huh? Yeah, no, it's like, a, unfortunately, uh, uh, the vote's the vote. And lastly, John Clayton. Tonight is the Seahawks' third preseason game, which used to be the second to the last preseason game, but it's not the same third preseason game as in previous seasons. The most important preseason game, despite the fact that preseason games don't count. Mm -hmm. Having said all of that, John Clayton, we're seven days away from the Washington Huskies opening the season on Montlake by welcoming and pounding the Montana Grizzlies into the turf of Husky Stadium. Go dogs! Okay, sounds good. And of course, uh, we'll be back next Saturday from 8 to 11. It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle.